Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 31. Jesus said to them, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to see you all. I was, uh, several years ago, I was coming out of a meeting in Washington, D.C., District of Columbia. I, always, I have to clarify that in my life now, that I live in the state of Washington. So in Washington, D.C., they have what's called the metro system, which is like the subway uh, system of the city. And I was coming out of downtown D.C. and riding on the metro, and I had come from a, a very, you know, kind of important denominational meeting of Methodists, and I was dressed in my suit and my tie, and it was about 9, 9.30 in the evening, and I'm riding home out of downtown. 
And so when I get on the, the, the metro, get on the subway, there's not many people on this time, rush hour's over, and so I, lots of seats around me, so I sit down in a couple seats and I take all my stuff and I spread it out and I'm going through some correspondence that I hadn't gotten to and I have it in my lap and I have it on the seat next to me. And over the next couple stops, start, people start to trickle on. But you know what you do when you're on public transportation, right? You don't make eye contact. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when you're on public transportation, you just, you just keep your head down, you don't make eye contact with anybody, and you just try and act like nobody else is around? So I was doing that. I was paying attention to my letters and things, and people were trickling on and finding seats. And then a couple stops later, this person gets on, and I can, I can feel this presence. And then the doors close and the train takes off, but that person is still standing there by the seat that's next to me. And I'm saying to myself, don't make eye contact. Because if you make eye contact and they want to sit there, then they're going to sit next to you. So I'm like, I am too busy to be interrupted here. I need to have this time to myself. I am trying to get work done here. But this person stood there off to the side. And I could catch out of the corner of my eye this black combat boot tapping on the ground. Kind of like this. And so it caught enough of my attention and I broke the golden rule of, of public transportation and I started to look up. And as I looked up, I saw a set of black combat boots, a, a set of white legs, cut-off jean shorts, grungy green t-shirt, tattoos, piercings, and wild red hair on this young woman. She was standing there looking at me like, you going to move it or what? <laughs> so can you picture this? Me in my suit and tie, and this young woman saying, I want to sit here. Now I'm looking around, I'm going, there are plenty of seats on this metro right now. There are other places you could be sitting, but she wanted to sit right next to me. And so I, at this point, was actually a little intimidated, and so I move all my stuff over, and I'm over here sitting here, and I'm kind of, my body language is saying, you know, leave me alone, and I'm back to focus, and then, not a minute later, she starts to read over my shoulder. Have you ever had somebody you don't know read? I don't even like people I know reading over my shoulder, but she starts to lean in and like she's looking at what I'm reading and then she goes, are you a Methodist? <laughs> and I said, well, yes, I am. I'm a pastor. And she said to me, I used to be a Methodist. And I said, where at? And she said, I'm from Oklahoma. And I'm sitting in my mind going, you cannot be from Oklahoma, Right? <laughs> You are not what I picture of somebody from Oklahoma. So she talked to me and she said, I used to be a Methodist. And I said, well, tell me more about that. And for the next 30 minutes, she just laid into me. She just laid into me about the church she used to go to and how people treated her and judged her and, 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 mis and maligned her character. And she said, I'll never go back to that church. For 30 minutes, I listened, and you know what? I had to be, if I'm honest with you, I agreed with a lot of what she had to say about the church. I said, I, yeah, I get it. I know. I see it as a pastor. I see the way people treat other people in the church. I see the judgment. I see the criticisms. I see all these things. And I said, I, and most of the time, I was just sat there and nodded and agreed with her, and I said, yeah, you're right. And she had totally moved away from God in her life. But about 30 minutes went by. Her stopped to get off. I was going all the way to the end of the line. She was getting off before the end of the line. So she got up, train was coming into the stop, and she got up to get off the train. She grabbed the railing, and she looked at me, and she said, thanks for listening to me. I said, you're welcome. 
And then I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, do you think it was a coincidence you sat down next to me tonight? And she kind of shook her head and she said, no, I don't think it was a coincidence. And I said, that's because I want you to know that maybe you've given up on God, but I want you to know that God has not given up on you. And she said, thanks. And I could see again the tears in her eyes as she walked off. And I never saw her again. I don't even know what happened in her life. I don't know what happened, but you know what happened in me? God was saying, Matt, wake up to the people around you. Stop being so busy and preoccupied with running the church that you miss the people who are hurting around you. That's what God said to me in that moment. Now, one of the things we see in this parable today, actually, this is my favorite parable in all of the Gospels. So I could write a whole book on Luke chapter 15. I won't do that today for you. I'm just going to give you a part of it. But I think about this parable, and actually Jesus tells us three parables. Parable of the lost sheep. Shepherd loses one of a hundred sheep, and the shepherd has to go searching for one of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost coin, which is a woman who loses one of ten coins and goes and searches her house for the lost coin. And then we get this story of the lost sons. Notice how I said that. Sons. Plural. Because this whole parable is actually in response, not to sinners and tax collectors, they hear this story, but to the Pharisees. This whole, Jesus is telling all these parables to answer a complaint that the Pharisees are having with Jesus. We have to go back all the way to verse 1 in chapter 15. Let's take a look at chapter uh, 15, verse 1, which says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, this parable is actually Jesus answering that complaint. And you actually don't get to that understanding until you get to the elder brother in the story. We love the story. I love the story because of the son and the, the repentance and coming back and the way that the father loves him when he comes home and restores him to son. That's what we love about the story. But Jesus is not just telling the story for sinners and tax collectors. Jesus is actually setting up the Pharisees to the elder brother. He's answering their question. He's saying to them, you're the elder brother. <laughs> You've been acting like the elder brother. So I think about this, and I, so I titled today the elder brother syndrome. And a syndrome is a group of symptoms that we may have. And so I actually think the older brother's name is Hal, H-A-L. That's also a way that you can remember what the symptoms are. H-A-L. The first symptom is H, high fever. This elder brother is feverish. Feverish working and preoccupied with the work of his father's business. Just like I was on the metro. What I am saying to you is if you look at the, the parable and you look at it closely, you'll see that the elder brother also got his share of the inheritance. And with the younger brother gone, who stands to get everything left and everything that's been inherited when dad dies? The older brother. And so where do we find the older brother coming from in the parable? Notice where he comes from 
Did you notice anybody? Where did he come from? The field, right. He's out working in the field. He's working on his inheritance. (laughs) He's like, with the younger guy gone, I get it all. And so he's thinking, I'm going to work hard on my inheritance. (laughs) I think sometimes we too can overwork on our inheritance, overwork on our salvation. You know, we're taught to work out our salvation with what? Fear and trembling. And I think sometimes we can get so consumed with working out our own inheritance that we neglect the inheritance of others, that we neglect the salvation of others around us because we're so feverish and preoccupied with the work that we're engaged in in ministry and servant leadership and these things. I had a pastor share with me this week a story of a young man who became a Christian and he went back to his workplace and he shared with his boss, hey, I became a Christian this weekend. (laughs) And the boss said to him, I've been praying for you to become a Christian for years. And the young man looked at him and looked at him and said, you mean to tell me you're a Christian? All these years we've worked together and you never told me you were a Christian? You never told me about who you were or what you were? He said to him, He said to his boss, I would have become a Christian years ago had I known that. You see, we can get so preoccupied with our work, whether it be in the marketplace or whether it be in ministry, that we miss those around us and sharing our faith with those around us and we become high high fever. We have a high fever. We become feverish in our work and preoccupation. So we are like the elder brother. The Pharisees, what were they doing? They were working out 614 laws to follow. They were so busy following the law and all the interpretations of the law that they didn't have time for sinners and tax collectors. That's part of the problem. That's part of the syndrome. The next one is, I said H, right? What's the name of the guy? How? H-A. Apathy. If you look at all three parables together, you'll notice something. In each parable, in the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd does what? when the sheep is lost, goes searching. And when the woman loses the coin, she goes what? Searching. Did you notice there's no search in this parable? Nobody goes looking for the lost son. Did you notice that? You want to take a guess at whose responsibility it was in the family to go and find the lost son? You want to take a guess? In that community, in that culture, Who do you think it was their responsibility to go find the lost brother? The elder brother. It was his responsibility. Notice he doesn't go searching. The one who was responsible to search for the lost is not the father, but the elder brother. If you don't believe me, go read the story of Joseph, whose brothers beat him up and throw him in a pit. But notice who comes looking for him to get him out of the pit. Do you know from the story, and you remember from Sunday school, who goes looking for him? Reuben. Where was Reuben's position in the family of all the sons? He was the eldest son. He was responsible and accountable to his father for what had happened to Joseph, and he knew it. So he goes and searches for Joseph and tries to rescue Joseph from the pit and the cistern, right? Because he knows he's accountable to his father for his younger brother. And he's the one that is advocating for Joseph in the midst of it all because he knows he's accountable. Here in the the parable, no one's accountable. The older brother just kind of is so apathetic, he doesn't even go on a search. He just says, let that guy go. See ya. 
Adios. Right? And he just goes to work on his inheritance. Do you see the Pharisees in that? You see the syndrome that's going on? You see the symptoms? And then I said H-A-L. L is lethargy. No enthusiasm. (laughs) Notice that when the party is thrown and he comes back in from the field, he doesn't want to join the party. In every parable, there, it says there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner than repents than over 99 righteous persons that need not repent. It says that in the first parable. It says that in the second parable. And here in the third parable, we have the party with the sinner. Remember the complaint of the Pharisees? This guy eats with sinners and tax collectors. He's partying with the sinners. Wow. You didn't know God partied, did you? You didn't know that Jesus was a party kind of guy, did you? He likes to go to parties. But it's rejoicing over the repentance, over the loss being found. It is rejoicing. Have you ever lost your keys and found them? Do you rejoice? Have you ever lost your cell phone and found it thanks to find my, find my phone or whatever? Right? And you rejoice, right? Think how much more important it is when a person is found by God. Not an object, but a person that matters to God. But this older brother, he's got no enthusiasm. He he won't go in, and it's the same thing. The Pharisees are not going into the party. They would not enter into a dinner party with Jesus and sinners and tax collectors. They would not go in. Like the elder brother who stood outside the party. These are symptoms of a syndrome. But you know, symptoms aren't causes, are they? You know what the causes are? These are just symptoms of what's going on, and we see that there are actually causes of this syndrome. Now, what I love about the parable, too, is that you'll notice that the elder brother doesn't come into the party. He's outside of the party. In fact, it was actually part of his responsibility to help dad throw the party. But where does, notice what the father does in this situation. The father went out to meet the younger son when he came home, And the father again goes out to meet the older brother as he comes in from the field. So notice that the the love of the father is the same to the younger brother and the older brother. That's good news for us older brothers in the crowd. That God loves the elder brother as much as God loves the younger brother. And is willing to go out and meet him and invite him into the party and ask him to come in, and ask him to join in. And I think Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you guys are welcome to come in to the party. You are welcome to come and be a part of the party. And they've got to, make, they've got to wrestle with that, right? But I think there are two causes. Notice two things. One is that notice how the son identifies himself to the father. He says this, all these years I've been slaving for you. What is his identity? Is his identity, does he see himself as a son or does he see himself as a slave? How do you think the Pharisees saw themselves? Did they see themselves as sons or slaves to the law? Slaves to 614 things, right? And so they were, in a sense, Jesus saying, you, you, you've enslaved yourself to the wrong thing. You, you've enslaved yourself to this, to this 
these laws rather than being sons of God. And I would say daughters of God. So what he's saying is you're, you're seeing yourself as a slave rather than as a son or a daughter. Is it possible that we could see ourselves as slaves to righteousness <laughs> rather than sons and daughters of our Father? Is that possible to enslave ourselves to practices, to beat ourselves up when we're not, we're not good enough or think we're good enough? And so we become... Now, it's interesting in this story because when the younger brother's coming home, what does he want to do when he gets there? He wants to be a slave. He wants to be a hired servant, really, he says. He says, I, it's better off for me. I, I, he, he's not expecting to be a son. He's expecting just to be a servant in the household. And I think it's ironic that the younger brother is coming back willing, wanting to be a servant, no longer be a son, and he's restored to being a son. And the older brother comes back, and he sees himself as a hired servant and not as a son, which is part of the crisis. It's this identity crisis that's going on inside. That's the cause of the syndrome. The other thing he identifies to his dad is, and I think what he's saying to his dad, like we all is, is that he felt unloved. I mean, isn't that kind of what he's saying? Dad, you don't love me like you love him. Sibling rivalry. <laughs> he's the favorite, Dad, not me. Do I have any, any favorites in the room? Anybody want to admit? Your, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. No confession. But sometimes we think that way, right? As siblings, we think that we're not the favorite. And I think he's the one that's saying, he, you know, isn't that what the Pharisees are saying to Jesus? Jesus, why aren't, why aren't we the favorite? Why are you making sinners and tax collectors your favorite people, not us? We're working hard, right? Can you see the Pharisees in this story now? Can you see what's going on with Jesus and the Pharisees, what he's trying to say to them? But notice again, the father says to the older brother, he says this, my son. And even though he sees himself as a slave, the father is still seeing him as a son. I think that's good news for the elder brother. I think that's love for the older brother. And even if you feel and identify with the older brother, know that God still loves and sees you as a son or daughter of God. That's the good news here in the story. And I don't, I don't know if the Pharisees got it or not. But I think Jesus is saying that they're still sons, right? Even though they see themselves as slaves. And he says, you know, everything I have is yours. That God approaches us, all of us, as sons and daughters of the Father. All of us. Whether we're younger brothers or older brothers in the parable, God approaches all of us as sons and daughters. The question is, how do you see yourself? If you're the older brother in this parable, if you identify with the older brother, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as someone who is enslaved to following the rules and the regulations and the laws and all the things we kind of put on it? Or do you actually see yourself as a son or daughter of the living God? Because how you see yourself is part of the reason or maybe part of the issue of how you see other people around you like the Pharisees, like the father, like the younger son, right? This is an identity crisis. This is an identity issue here. Notice that the parable doesn't have an ending. Did you notice that? 
Jesus doesn't tell us how the parable ends, doesn't tell us how the story ends. In fact, he kind of leaves it open. You know, Jesus does that a lot in the Gospels. He doesn't give a prescription and say, here's what you're supposed to do, Pharisees. He actually leaves it open and says, he's basically saying to the Pharisees and to these elder brothers, he's saying, you're going to join the party or what? It's up to you to decide. Are you going to come in and be a part of God's family, or are you going to stand outside and keep trying to see yourself as a slave to the law? That's what he's saying. He's saying, you can, you've been really good sons, but you haven't been good brothers. That's what he's saying. He's like, you guys have been really good sons, but you haven't been good brothers. And I think it's possible for us to be good sons and daughters of the living God and not be good brothers and sisters. We can do that. And it's a part of our, who we are and how we see ourselves. You know, one of the great uh, examples I have out of my own family history is my wife's grandfather. Uh, his name was Pop-Pop. He was a vet, veterinarian all his whole life. And when he was failing in his health, uh, we, would go, we were, went to visit him one weekend and we were staying in his house. And one of the things I loved about Pop-Pop was that he would, you would wake up in the morning to go get breakfast and you would find Pop-Pop in his study, in his armchair with his Bible open. And he was a man of the, just studying God's word every morning. And he would spend quite a bit of time just studying God's word and meditating on it. And then he had his prayer list. And he was praying for specific people on his list. I know I was on that list as a pastor. He prayed for me every morning. And so I would get up to go to breakfast and I would see him praying and studying God's word. But he would always, when he saw me, he would set it down and come out of his study and greet me and say how, you know, just check out how things were. And then he would go back into his, to his study after we went to breakfast. So I saw this man who was being a really good son of his father, Heavenly Father. And then that same day, it might have been the same day, it may have been the next day, uh, he needed to go get some, uh, go to the grocery store. At this point, um, his wife had passed away, and so he was on his own. And uh, so I took him to the grocery store that afternoon. And we went to the grocery store, and he had to pick up, you know, the usual stuff, usually, usual, usual stuff that bachelors pick up, you know, milk, eggs, bread, the basics, right? And so we had like five or six items that we had collected around the grocery store, and we go to the checkout, and you know, when you look at the checkout, and there's the express lane, the 12 items or less, right? You all follow that rule, right? 12 items or less, right? So, yeah, anyway, that's another story. All right, 12 items or less, right? And, I, and there's like hardly anybody in the line. We've got like five or six items. I'm like walking to the express lane, and Pop-Pop's not with me. And I look over, and he's going that way. And I looked over at him, and I said, uh-uh, we're going there. This is express lane. This is quicker. There, there's hardly anybody here. You won't, we only have five or six items. I'm like going, doing one of these across, the, you know, like, come on, Bob. Like, he looked at me, and he goes, nope. I was like, what? He just shook his head, and he started moving towards this other line. And wouldn't you, have, wouldn't you know it, that line was longer. It was full service. There were people with full shopping carts in that line. And I'm sitting there going, scratching my head, going, what is going on? This doesn't make sense, right? In our preoccupied, in a rush world, right? 
Pop-Pop shook his head. He waved me over. So I, like, you know, respect your elders, right? You're always taught to respect your elders. So I go and get in line with Pop-Pop. And we're waiting and waiting and waiting. But as we're waiting, he says to me, he says, see that person behind the checkout right there? I said, yeah, yeah, I see him, Papa. He said, uh, I've been praying for her. And he says, every time I come to this grocery store, I get in her line because every time I come through her line, it's an opportunity to, for me to share my faith with her. I've been praying that she'll become a Christian. Oh. I felt like the elder brother. Pop-up, see, what pop-up illustrated for me was that he was not only a good son, but he was a good brother. He not only loved God, he loved other people. And God says to us, and the parable says to us, it's not an either or. It's not be a good son or daughter or be a good brother and sister. It's be a good son and daughter and be a good brother and sister. It's not either or. We need to be both, loving God and loving others. Let's pray together.